Good to be home. It's good to be here. My name is Ted, and um, I'm a pinch hitter for Mason. Mason's the A team, and I'm the B team. And today, we're going to study one of the, my favorite passages of Scripture. We read it earlier. It's in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. Paul gives his second prayer for the church in Ephesus. Paul is the starter of the church of Ephesus. He was the church planter. He encouraged the church. And this is one of Paul's letters that he wrote while he was enchained and in prison. Uh, Res kids, you are dismissed and ushers, you can come forward. I guess they already beat me to it. All right. I have that in my notes. I just missed that. Okay. Um, today, the title of the sermon is this, Living Beyond Our Imagination. Living beyond our imagination. We're going to cover four areas today that we're going to glean from God's word to challenge us all. First point is this. In Christ, we are under God's fatherhood. In Christ, we are under God's fatherhood. Second point is in Christ, we have the power of the Holy Spirit. In Christ, we have the power of the Holy Spirit. Number three is this. In Christ, we are rooted and grounded in love. In Christ, we are rooted and grounded in love. The fourth point is this. In Christ, we can grasp God's love. In Christ, we can grasp God's love. It is not so much a matter of knowing about God's love, but being in God's love, laying our hands on what God has for us, for us by faith. That is a vital part of our lives. Paul is saying that he wants us to get our hands on the vast resources and real of God and realize just how special we are in him. It is worth noting that the first two prayers in the book of Ephesians uh, are, are, are prayers for Paul praying for this church in Ephesus. Too many of our prayers focus on things instead of being with God. We pray for health, which is good. We pray for finances. We pray for sick loved ones or friends. We pray, pray for family stress and strife. We pray that God will give us and bless us throughout the day. We pray for our children. We pray for our jobs. And, and we can go on and on and on about the things that we pray for. Today, we're going to focus our prayers. We're going to focus our prayers in and we're gonna look at the magnificent brilliance of God's love for us. Let us pray. Father, as we dive into your word, I pray that you challenge our hearts and our minds. Allow us the privilege of just getting a glimpse, just a, just a glimpse of your love for us. But challenge us, Father to lay a hold of that love and have that be the anchor of our lives every moment of every day, of every year of our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. If you have your Bibles, open up to Ephesians chapter three, starting at verse 14. And we're just gonna kind of take our time and wade through these verses. I'm gonna read them one or two at a time and then we're gonna dissect them together. Verse 14 of Ephesians 3 says this, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. So that poses the question, what reason? Let's look back if you have your Bible. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 1 says this, 
For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you, the Gentiles. So Paul is saying that he is a prisoner uh, in Christ Jesus. He is arrested by the love of God, but more, more importantly at this point, he's arrested and imprisoned in Rome on behalf of you, the Gentiles. So that is the reason that Paul bows his knees before the Father. Now, history teaches us and, 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 and uh, scholars teach us that Paul was chained uh, to a prison guard because they were afraid that he was going to escape. Can you imagine the prison guard chained to Paul as Paul's bowing his knees and praying before God the Father? It says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Our first point is this. In Christ, we are under God's fatherhood. In Christ, we are under God's fatherhood. There was an author by the name of Mark Kelly who wrote a really good article concerning this passage. I just want to re read a snippet of it. He said, the fatherhood of God is perhaps, perhaps the most overlooked attribute of God in the Christian world. Christians worldwide pray to God by uttering familiar words, our Father who art in heaven. Father is the most familiar term for God in the Christian tradition and perhaps the most theologically significant title for God in all of Scripture. What is the significance of God as Father? God exhibits his fatherhood to all of mankind. The fatherhood of God is an eternal, immutable attribute. Now, let's define what fatherhood means for a moment. Fatherhood, in, in a basic sense, can be defined in several ways. A father is one who establishes or the, the head of the household or an, or an originator or patron of a class or he's the originator or a patron of a profession or he is uh, originator or, or, or uh, 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 patron of an art or skill, a producer or a generator. In this particular sense, the father feeds his household physically and spiritually. He loves and cares for us because we're his kids. We're his children. Our daddy's a big God, ain't he? He's a big God. In the Greek language, father literally means nourisher, protector, and upholder. Holy Scripture presents the concept of fatherhood in several ways. Headship, establishing of a household, feeding, nourishing, and protecting, and upholding that which he has established. Years ago, I had a client that I was uh, counseling in therapy, and the client made an interesting statement to me. She said, Ted, I have a hard time of thinking of God as my heavenly father because my earthly father was such a and I'm not going to use that word. She said, my concept of father is askew because my earthly father did this, this, and this, and this to me. Sometimes when we are burned or burnt by our earthly relationships, we translate those into our heavenly relationship with our father. After extensive therapy with this particular individual, she got a small glimpse of what it meant to have God as her father. It's hard sometimes when our earthly relationships get in the way. So 
in Christ, we are under God's fatherhood. I'm a dad. I'm a dad of three. I have a 24-year-old, an almost 21-year-old, and a 10-year-old. I love my children. I would give my life for my children. I serve my children. I want to do whatever I can to teach them and help them and nourish them and provide for them. Even my adult child, my adult son, Mike, who's married and lives 10 miles from us, I would do anything in the world for that man because he's my son. That pales in comparison to how much God loves us. God loves us above and beyond what we can ever imagine or ever think. We are his and he is ours. What a fatherhood it is. What a fatherhood it is. Verse 16 says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit in your inner being. Now, that word power in the Greek language is basically the word dynamite. The Greek, and I'll probably, Mason will probably chastise me, I'll probably mess up this word, is dunamis, which means basically uh, uh, an exciting, explosive power, like dynamite. That is what the Holy Spirit wants to produce for in us in our inner being. Warren Wiersbe, Warren Wiersbe writes in his commentary on this chapter, the power of the Spirit is given to us according to the riches of God's glory. Christ returned to glory and sent the Spirit from heaven to indwell us, to empower us, and to give us and to make us his people. It is not necessary for us to work up something uh, or do something in our own power. We have to rely upon the power that is already inside of us. How marvelous that God does not give the Spirit's power to us out of his riches, but according to his riches. Now, I want to parse some words here for a moment. Let's hypothetically say that I was a bazillionaire and I hit the lottery and won multi-billions of dollars. And I would see someone and I would give you a $50 bill. The proportion of $50 to a billion dollars is not very much, is it? But what if I saw someone, Holly, and gave you a million dollars out of my bazillion dollars? That is in portion with the money that I have. So, so it says here, out of his riches, but according to his riches, which is far greater. This is a portion, the $50 is a portion, the million dollars is a proportion. So this power is given to us as a proportion. God grants us this power from his eternal riches in glory. We have at the moment of salvation the Holy Spirit of the living in God dwelling inside of us, wanting to produce the fruit of his spirit in Galatians chapter five, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. He wants to produce that in his life. Not only does he want to produce it, he gives us the power to do it. This power is available for the inner man. This means the spiritual part of man where God dwells and works. The inner man of the, the person that does not know Christ is dead. But it comes alive when Christ is invited in. The inner man can see. It can hear. The inner man can feel. 
The inner man must have exercise. We must exercise our relationship in the Lord and, and develop. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about spiritual breathing and, and exhaling or confessing of our sin and indwelling and breathing in the power of the Holy Spirit for forgiveness of sins and to give us the capability of not performing those sins again. The outer man is perishing, but the inner man can be renewed spiritually in spite of our outward decay. It is this inner power that makes us succeed in our relationship with God. Verse 17 says this, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. That word dwell is the same root word as tabernacled. Remember in the Old Testament when the Hebrews were wandering in the wilderness and they set up this portable meeting place for God to come down the tabernacle and God would meet them there in the tabernacle and that was God's dwelling while they were wandering in the wilderness. That is the same idea and concept about what God does for us when we accept Jesus as our Savior. He tabernacles in us. He dwells in us. That blows my mind that the holy God of this universe through the power of through the blood of his son Jesus Christ and through the power of his Holy Spirit dwells inside of us and gives us the capability of walking in step with him every moment, every hour of every day. It says, in third point is this, in Christ we are rooted and grounded in love. We are rooted and grounded in love. Nate Holdridge, an author, wrote an article called Rooted and Grounded in Love. And he says this, Paul, longing for the church to become fully united to the love of Christ, has prayed for the Spirit to build up in our inner person and for Christ to settle in our hearts through faith. Here he continues his request by asking that the love of Christ would establish us. It is a love, he confesses, which surpasses all knowledge, but should still root and ground us running into the core of our motivations and our desires. Paul prayed for us to allow the love of Christ to become our root system. You know, I like to plant a few plants in the garden occasionally, and I love to pick a ripe tomato off the ground. But you can't do that unless you have a good, solid root system. The soil has to be correct. You have to fertilize it, water it, prune it. Has to have a solid root system. Running into the core of our motivations and our desires, that should be, God's love should be our root system. He used a picture from nature to describe our relationship to Christ's love. Just as roots of a tree sink down deep into the earth in search of nutrients and stability, so the love of Christ nourishes us and stabilizes us, the believer. Every person in this planet is in search of love. And this quest for love can cause the worst of behaviors at times. But the believer who is rooted in the love of Christ has endless supply of nourishment. Love is perpetually theirs. When rooted in Christ's love, we can walk through drought and earthly drought, but still be fruitful and alive because of that secret, deep love that God has for us and we have for him. 
years ago, uh, I was in Waynesburg, Pennsylvania, and um, this, this friend of mine that I, that I went to see, the, the parents of a friend of mine, crossed the street from them, they had a house that burned down, and the mother of my friend shared this with me. She said, yes, my neighbor's house burned down. They got out alive, mother and father, two or three kids, a cat and a dog. And they were all standing in their pajamas and they were standing out on the street watching their house go up in flames. And the mother started singing the old hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. I'm not gonna sing that today. But she had that inner peace. She didn't let her earthly circumstances dictate where she was spiritually, but she allowed where she was spiritually to dictate how she reacted to her earthly circumstances. I think we all need a little touch of that, don't we? Man, I, I don't want anybody's house to go up in flames. No. But how do we allow our, our earthly experiences not to affect where we are spiritually, but have our spiritual experiences and God's love affect how we, we react to our earthly experiences. Sometimes we go through drought. Sometimes we go through floods, earthquakes in life, valleys in life. But God is our constant. What did King David say in Psalm 23? He said, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me, old King James. So even in our drought, even in our valleys, even in our despair, God's love is constant for us because he tabernacles in us. Paul also wrote, Paul also prayed for us to allow the love of Christ to become our foundation. My father-in-law uh, is a retired brick and block layer, and he uh, was a skilled craftsman. Actually, he was the lead block layer on the clay center, uh, and he kind of helped not design, but, 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 but put into implementation the dome of the clay center. Skilled craftsman. And when my wife and I were building our house, uh, part of the foundation of where, our, where, we laid the, uh, where we laid the footers, it was a little bit uneven. And my father-in-law said, this house will not be built on that foundation. So we had it corrected. So a house is only as good as its foundation. Our foundation is, is, in, the, is in the love of God, that you being grounded foundation in love. Holdridge wrote, he, here Paul used a picture of a building to describe this relationship to Christ's love, like a, strict, a structure which cannot stand firm and upright without a solid foundation, so the love of Christ provides a solid base for the believer. Much of the Christian life comes down to this relationship with Christ's love. For many, try to build a life of good works and, her, and helping and serving and good meaning attempting to do something radical for God in an attempt to receive his love. It is far better to, utter, to be utterly convinced of his love than to respond it through it by doing. The believer grounded in love is made stable for every season of life. See, a lot of us, including me at times, we get this backwards. I tithe to my church. I go every time the church doors are open. I help the old lady across the street. I teach Sunday school. I, I'm involved in the community with the food pantries. And am I doing those out of the outflowing of God's love 
or am I doing those to, quote, earn God's love? Dear friend of mine and mentor, Sam Caldwell, lives in Pensacola, Florida. He taught me this years ago. He said, doing flows from being. Doing flows from being. I get that backwards sometimes. Being creates doing. Or, 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 do, or, or, or I, I should say doing creates being. Uh, I was in, years ago, in Ufa, Russia, in, and I taught at a, I may have shared this a few weeks ago, but I taught at a, um, an English uh, cl- uh, class at the University of Ufa, and after the class, the professor had this um, little time of uh, tea and cookies and kind of a meet and greet, and I walked up to someone, and I shook their hand, and I could understand a little bit of Russian, but, but, but this person spoke a little, Russian, a little English, and I spoke very little Russian, but we pieced the conversation together, and I asked the person, hey, what do you do for a living? Afterwards, on the cab ride home, my friend Sam, who lived in, in Ufa, Russia at that time, said, Ted, you got it backwards, and what you did was not good. And I said, what? He said, you don't want to focus on what you do. On the West, we do that. Here in the East, we focused on who you are. Appropriate question is, hey, are you married? Tell me about your family. Tell me about your children. Tell me about the town that you grew up in, your family, your, your siblings. Here in the West, we focus on doing. In the East, they focused on being. February 2000, 23 years ago, that was a very valuable lesson for a 30-something. Doing flows from being. Verse 18, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Question, how can we comprehend something or know something that surpasses all knowledge? It seems in verses 18 and 19, there's a paradox here. It says we can comprehend it, but it surpasses all knowledge. Let's dissect that a little bit. Warren Wiersbe writes in his commentary, the English word comprehend and the English word apprehend stem both from the Latin word, which means to grasp. So the idea is to mentally grasp and physically grasp. There's a term for a, 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 a type of monkey. It's called a pre, they, they, they call it a prehensile tail. A monkey can climb a tree and grab onto a tree limb by its tail and hold on. It can grasp the tree limb. It's a prehensile tail. So the idea is we need to mentally grasp and physically grasp this dimensions of God's love for us. Our word comprehend carries the idea of mentally grasping something while apprehend suggests laying a hold of it for yourselves. In other words, it is possible to understand something but not really make it your own. So the challenge is let's understand it here and let's practice it here. Laying a hold of God's love for us. Paul's concern is that we lay a hold of the vast expanses of God's, of, of the love of God. Comprehend it and apprehend it. Fourth point is this. In Christ, we can grasp God's love. In Christ, 
we can grasp God's love. Have you ever had a time when you experienced God's love in a very tangible way? Could be a camp meeting, it could be in a youth group uh, overnight, it could be a, at a Young Life event, it could be uh, by yourself in the woods. Uh, have you ever had a time when you experienced God's love and you didn't want to leave that place? I had a couple in my life, I don't want to share them with you. Years ago, uh, I was on, on a beach and it was probably two or three o'clock in the morning. And I walked out onto the sand of the beach and I'm in, in, in the water with my ankles and I look up in the vastness of space. It was like God, the master artist, painted that picture for me to see his glory. And as a young man, I'm looking up at the stars and the moon and I'm amazed at the glory of God and how he spoke everything into existence and at that moment, I began to cry and weep. Our God who created all of this loves Ted Tansy from Clarksburg, West Virginia. Our God who spoke everything into existence loves me. At that moment, I experienced God's love in my life. I didn't want to leave. I stayed on that beach for hours. I wanted to... Uh, it was on the Atlantic coast. I wanted to see the sunrise, but I got tired. That was a mountaintop experience in my life. One other, when I was a young college undergrad student, um, I, didn't, I, I was a believer. I accepted Christ when I was 10 years old, but I really didn't know much. I didn't really practice my, my, my relationship with God or my walk with God. And, I, and one night, it was a Thursday night, I was alone in my apartment, and I said, well, I'm going to get my Bible out and start reading. And I didn't know where to read, so I opened up to the book of Matthew in the New Testament. And I just started reading. It, at that moment, it was like the words of the page were jumping out at me. Every single word in the book of Matthew, it, it was like my mind was blown. I read the whole book of Matthew that night into the book of couple books later, Mark, Luke. I didn't want to stop reading. I checked my school studies. Didn't do those. But I experienced a very tangible mountaintop experience in my relationship with God. Currently, recently, we've had this thing in, in Kentucky at the Asbury Revival. I'm sure we've all heard about it. It's, it's a bunch of college students and others, and they're experiencing this uh, love of God and love for each other, and, and the Holy Spirit is, is there present. And I watched a few videos, and it looked fantastic. And that's a mountaintop experience. But, you know, we can't live our lives on top of the mountain all the time. We must come down into the valley. There's a picture of this in Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17, we, we're, it's often termed the Mount of Transfiguration. Let me just read it. Matthew chapter 17. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led him up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face was shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. I heard one pastor say that, that, that Peter, James, and John were standing in the blazing, brilliant light of the holiness of God. 
the blazing, brilliant light of the holiness of God. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with them and Peter. God loved Peter. Peter says, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Peter didn't want to leave the mountaintop experience. The story goes that Jesus came over, God spoke, said, this is my son. Peter, James, and John fell down to their knees. And when they rose, Jesus was in his earthly form and they walked down off the mountain. Peter, James, and John had a mountaintop experience. Peter wanted to stay. He wanted to be up there. He wanted to continue that mountaintop experience and build his tents. But you have to come down to the valley. The challenge is this. What can we learn from our mountaintop experiences and our relationship with the Lord to help us when we go through the valleys of life? What can we learn from our mountaintop experiences and our relationship with the Lord to help us in our valleys of life? Now we're going to break forth in doxology. Verse 20. Now to him, back in Ephesians verse three, uh, chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we can ever ask or think. According to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever Amen. Paul does an amazing thing. After contemplating such a marvelous spiritual experience, it is no wonder Paul burst forth into this doxology. It's a fitting benediction to such a wonderful prayer. Warren Wiersbe writes, perhaps the best way for us to grasp this is do it in outline form. Now to him, that is, able to do all, above all, abundantly above all, exceedingly abundantly above all. Let's repeat that. Now to him that is above all, able to do all, above all, abundantly above all, exceedingly abundantly above all. Paul seems to want to use every word possible to convey the vastness of God's power found in Jesus Christ. Wow. Wow. Paul ended each of the previous chapters in this book with prayers or praises to God. Here he is saying, grab a hold of it. Apprehend it. Comprehend it. The amount that God loves us. How he loves us. Grab a hold of it. And allow yourself when you're down in the valleys of life Allow that to be my and your nourishment. In other words, the power of Christ, like the love of Christ, is beyond human understanding or measurement. And this is the exact kind of power that you and I need as we walk daily with our Savior. Praise team, you can please come up. Today, we have tried to get a little glimpse of what it looks like of living beyond our imagination and imagining what it means to be a child of God.
And also, we tried to get a little glimpse and understanding of what our resources are as believers in Jesus. Today, we, we learned that in Christ, we are under God's fatherhood. In Christ, we have the power of the Holy Spirit. In Christ, we are rooted and grounded in love. And in Christ, we can grasp God's love. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says, How great the love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. Eugene Peterson, uh, Mason quoted him a week or so ago, in his translation uh, of, the, of the Bible called The Message. I want to read this passage out of that. He says, my response is to get down on my knees before the Father, this magnificent Father who parcels out all heaven and earth. I ask him to strengthen you in the spirit. Not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength that Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite him in. And I ask him that with both feet planted on love, firmly on love, that you'll be able to take in with all the followers of Jesus the extravagant dimensions of God's love. Reach out and experience the breath of it. Test God's love's length. Plumb to the depths of God's love. Rise to the highest of heights of God's love. Live full lives, full in the fullness of God. God can do anything, you know, far more than you can ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us. His spiritly, his spirit deeply and gently within us. Glory to God in the church. Glory to God in the Messiah Jesus. Glory to God from all the generations and glory to God through all the millennia. As we come to the table today, let us take a brief moment and pause our heads and our hearts and ask God a simple question. God, I want to lay a hold of your love for me. I want to comprehend it and apprehend it. I want to experience you and experience your love for me while you're renewing the inner man through the power of your Holy Spirit.